In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Actually, today, we will study together the book of Jonah. Because you guys know, next week, God willing, it's the fast of Jonah. So today, we will study the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah in the Old Testament is extremely unique. Because it is probably the only book in the Old Testament that is directed to the Gentiles. It's not directed to the Jews. And it's actually one of the most important books because it shows that God visiting everybody. In the Old Testament, even people in the Old Testament thought this is God of Israel, but actually it shows that God is trying to reach out to even the Gentiles. And by the way, just to let you guys know, the people of Nineveh, as all you guys know, repented after the message of Jonah. But then a hundred years later, they have sinned again. And the punishment of God came upon the second generation that sinned. Okay? The book of Jonah is also unique because almost in every single uh, prophecy in the Old Testament, it speaks highly of the man of God. And tries to highlight the strength and the, of the relationship between the man of God and God. The book of Jonah is almost making Jonah look like silly making him look like this man does not fit to become a man of God. And in a way, it shows two things. One, it gives us a lot of encouragement. And number two, it shows the honesty of Jonah. Because somehow he probably told people the story. And he was honest in how he opened his heart. Okay, Actually, it's interesting because... Jonah uses the same exact words that Elisha have used. If you look at 1 Kings 19.4, it's the same exact words that Jonah have, said, have used. He said, but he himself went a day journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a, broom, under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. This is the exact prayer that Elijah prayed. But obviously, when I use, when I use a pray, the words of somebody famous, it's almost like if I'm trying to point to you to say, oh, I'm in the same situation as he is. But if you compare, you're going to say, Jonah, what are you doing? You're nothing close to what Elijah was. So in a way, he's coming across Kida to almost seem like the Pharisees of the New Testament. People who are not happy with the work of Christ and are not happy with the message going to the Gentiles. The story of Jonah also reminds us, you guys remember the parable of the unforgiving servant, when, uh, when the owner forgave a servant, and when the servant went out, he did not forgive his other servants. This is exactly the book of Jonah. God forgives Jonah, but Jonah does not want God to forgive the Ninevite. And a lot of times, by the way, we live in a certain way. I want to have certain blessings from God, but in, internally, I don't want God to bless other people and make them close to Him. Just get a, I just, I'm gonna, in the introduction, I wanna just talk a little bit about the historicity of Jonah, because some people say, is this story historical or not? Let me give you get a few things. Number one, if Jonah, if, if the book of Jonah is history, this is evidence of the most important part of the imaginable truth, that God is visiting the Gentiles. And think about it this way. 
Which man in Israel would think to fake up a story like this? This is a story that does not fit with the theology or the understanding, the theological understanding at that time. So who would make up a story that makes them hated by people or a story that theologically does not fit with the theology of Israel? So it does not make sense, it's made up. Also, if you look in Second King, this is important, please write it in your notes, Second King 14.25. The name of Jonah is mentioned and he prophesied. And is, he prophesied, you guys remember I told you after Solomon, the kingdom is split into two, the north and the south. The northern kingdom was called Israel and its capital was Samaria. The southern kingdom was called Judah and its capital was Jerusalem. The northern kingdom have strayed from God all the time. Now Jonah in 2 Kings 14.25 he's prophesizing for the northern kingdom, the bad kingdom. And he's saying that God will expand its territory. Look here in, in 2 Kings 14.25 said he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the sea of Arabah according to the word of God of Israel which he had spoken through his servant Jonah the son of Amittai the prophet that was from Gath Hephar. So Jonah previously prophesied in the side of Israel. Imagine Kedah if, if you have in America a prophet, a prophet today. And he came, he says, I speak by the word, by the word of the Lord. Okay, what are you going to tell us? That God is going to bless China. China. And China is going to be a huge country. And it's going to overcome the U.S. How many of us will like this guy? Okay? A lot of people are not going to be happy with him. You're, you're prophesizing inside the U.S. about a, a country that is competing with the U.S. This is exactly what's happening. He's prophesizing uh, during the time of Jeroboam the, the, the second. And he's saying that they will expand. Okay, so the the character of Jonah is real. It's in Second King, four, uh, sorry, fourteen. Also, the story itself does not make a lot of sense for somebody to make it that is contrary to the theology of um, of of the Jewish people at the time. Also, you remember in the New Testament that our Lord spoke about the jo Jonah. And he said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, the son of man will be in the tomb for three days. It was not a figure, figure of speech. It must have been a real story. By the way, all the names in the story of Jonah are real stories that there is archaeological evidence for them. Nineveh, Java, Tarshish, all the names of the story, they're not made up. So the story has a lot of, for example, the, the uh, city Nineveh, it actually is in Genesis. If you open Genesis 10, 11, and it, said it was about almost built in the 4500. Uh, 4, and it was, all, it, it was not always the capital of Assyria, but it was one of their major city. The word, the city Tarshish actually means to smell or to smelt because they were involved with mineral trades and they were actually part of Spain. So really it's very hard for us to say this is, this is I mean obviously we, in the church we know that this is a true story, even St. Jerome spoke about it, but I'm just giving you some background for historicity. Most likely this book was written around the second king 1425 which I was telling you is about 780 BC before Christ, 780 BC. 
Now, the one, the one point that I want you guys to keep in mind is that some people say that Jonah himself did not write the book. Because if you look in the book, he speaks of as a, thir as a third person. He's not speaking in the first person. He says, and God spoke to Jonah. And God, that, that's, that's fine. It could be he made somebody else write it for him. It could be uh, he's writing in the third person. I w I don't, we don't have a lot of information on that. Okay, so just uh, one question, one point before we go into the structure in the first, chap uh, first chapter. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ said, Jonah is a sign. In what way Jonah is a sign? Because when Jonah was delivered from the belly of the fish, it became a sign to the Ninevites. They saw a man whom all of a sudden came out of the mouth of a fish. And that great miracle made them look at this and say, what's happening? The same thing with our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus performed many miracles, but Jesus himself said, when the Son of Man is lifted on the cross, people would believe. When the Son of Man was on the cross and died, he became a sign to people to believe. Okay? The structure of the book of Jonah is actually very simple. It's really beautiful, actually. From, ver from chapter 1 to kind of the beginning of chapter 2 is Jonah sinned and saved. Jonah made a committed a sin and saved. From chapter 3 to 4, Gentiles sinned and saved. So the story is very simple. Half of the book is Jonah sinning and God saving him. The other half, the Gentiles are sinning and God saving them. And that's, that's really beautiful. That the servants whom God is sending must experience the repentance first before they go and actually preach the word of God. If you go without knowing that you are a sinner and God forgive you, you are not going to be able to look at people with the eyes of God. Now let's get the, read the first three verses and then we'll go through them together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of the Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of God. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of God. This is the beginning of the story. The story begins with a communication from God himself, telling Jonah, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, it's important for us to understand also a couple of things. When Jonah gets the message, that God wants him to go to, to, to Nineveh to preach. He hates his life. Because he already preached. He already preached for the northern kingdom. So all the people in the south hate him already. Now God wants him to not only go to the north. Even go to the Gentiles. So to him. This is just. Too much to ask. You see. When God speaks inside of us, the things he asks are usually 
of great inconveniences to us. Sometimes they are small, but they are inconvenienced to us. Otherwise, it would not be worthy of his voice. And God might come to the whisper in your ear and tell you, look, try to fast today extra. Try to go visit this person. Try to mention this person in your prayer. Today you were going to a mess and eat a meal you like. God said, you know what? Try to give up this meal today. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I want you to give up this meal. He speaks to you in a very still voice. And it's inconvenient. And your, your respond depends or your, your willingness to hear the voice of God will make the, the voice of God either become clearer in your heart or you dim it, you don't hear it anymore. And you look for the voice of God, you can't find him. Now, when, he, when Jonah tried to run away, he ran away to Tarshish. Why did he run away to Tarshish? By the way, Tarshish is in Spain. And Nineveh is in Assyria. So west and east. He completely went the other side. That's why did he go to Tarshish? If you want to know why, you have to open Isaiah 66, 19. What does it say? Look at this verse. It says, And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations, to Tarshish, to Paul, to Lod, that draw the, the bow, to Tabol and Javan, to the islands afar off. That these islands, what about them? They have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. So he went to certain cities where in the scripture, in Isaiah, God said, these places have not heard of my glory, have not heard of my voice. So he has gone to a place where he knows that God has never spoken. He basically says, look, God is everywhere, but there's no way he's going to come reveal himself to me in this place. So let me run away from the place where God can speak to me. And this is what happens when we as a, as a people start, for example, I know that when I come to church, I hear something that will move my conscience. So I say, you know what, let me run from the church. If I go talk to this person, I know what they're going to say. I don't want to hear it. Let me go to a place where I cannot hear the word of God. You know, by the way, the Jews in general were not very good with sailing. So he went where? He went to uh, the sailors. Most likely they were from uh, Phoenicia, which is Lebanon. So he trusted himself in the hands of human experts and left the word of God. Left the word of God. Sometime, Kedah, we have to ask ourselves, how did Jonah hear the word of God? Was it a dream? Was it a real, an actual voice, a revelation? It is not clear. 
It is not clear. But what's clear is that whatever voice he heard, it was so clear that he knew it was the voice of God. Now what God is telling him, he's telling him, look, the sins of Nineveh, the wickedness, have come up to me. God sometimes waits. By the way, when we commit sins and we stay away from God, God waits patiently. And his patience sometimes should lead us to repentance. And God sends warning, warning that are general to the whole world and warning that are specific. Tell me a time where people felt, you know, we live in a good, people felt that, you know, the world is at its best. There's always challenges, there's always problems. Whether a pandemic, whether cancer, whether wars, whether always issues. There is constant warning that God is sending. By the way, by the way, the word Jonah means dove, and the word Amatai means truth. And some people thought of trying to put explanation together, yani the dove, the son of truth, or basically dove because he's making peace between the Gentiles and and God, and then the Son of Truth, because he spoke truthfully of his experience. There are many, many ways you can look at this, okay? And as I said earlier, Nineveh is a real city. It is actually, uh, in, in the, in, if you find it, it's the opposite, the modern city of Mosul, and north city of Iraq. And in fact, in Syria, in fact, even when ISIS went in, there is a big church there for, Nineveh, for Jonah, the prophet. And as we said, it's from the year 400, 4,500. When God said, I want you to go, and I want you to preach against Nineveh, because their wickedness have come up to me. A lot of places, a lot of people can commit sin. But sometimes people are committing so much aggression, and their sins have become so difficult that God must send a warning. The Assyrian, by the way, historically were known for being very violent. One of the grandson of Sankarib, he actually used to tear off the lips and the hands of his victim. And they actually used to beat people alive and they would make it a, 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 a skull, a, a, like a little bit of um, piles of skulls so that you can show people how great they are. So God is telling him that wickedness have come to me. And you can imagine also Jonah is probably afraid. You're going to send me to, to Nineveh? They cut people's lips and arms and, and they kill people alive and you put the skulls there? It doesn't look really fun. This is, this is terrible. I don't know if I want to go there. Now, in verse 3, it says, he said, Jonah did something weird. He took the words of God to disobey God. God told him, arise and go. He rose, but where did he go? To a completely different place. And by the way, some people yani, think that Jonah hired the whole ship to go. Because it was not that easy to find a ship that will go to Spain immediately in that way. And if he truly hired a ship to go, it means that he almost sold everything he has. 
because hiring a ship to go from Jerusalem with sailors all the way to Spain is very costly. So he have almost declared full disobedience on the word of God and he committed, he said, look, I'm, I'm not coming back anymore. That's why you see in verse 3, he's determined. So Jonah rose, he fleed to Tarshish from, the, from, from before God. He went down to Jobah. He found a ship to go into Tarshish. He paid its fare. He went up, it's plan, 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 plan. Done, 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 done. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. That's what he's doing. And then it says he's leaving away from the presence of the Lord. Obviously, Jonah is a prophet, and he knows that God is everywhere. But what it means to be out of the presence of the Lord? It means that he is claiming a full rebellion against the Lord. And you will see this in Genesis 4.16 and the story of Cain and Abel. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod and the east of Eden. When Cain sinned, he claimed, I no longer want to follow the Lord. So Jonah is announcing that I will no longer follow God. Such a tough... Uh, such a tough action to make. And when you look at his action, don't distance yourself so much from it. Because a lot of times, we are constantly disobeying God. And in certain circumstances, we constantly proclaim our disobedience to God. I am not going to forgive this person. But God said forgive. I am not going to help this person. But God said help. I'm not going to fast. I'm not. We claim disobedience. Why there's a danger when you proclaim it? There's a difference between sinning and this one between proclaiming the sin. And he proclaimed the sin. Seems like Jonah did not pause to consider the problem and the decisions he's making. One of Jonah's biggest fear that he, in his mind, he thought that if God accepted Nineveh, it means that God rejected Israel. So he was full. What made him run away from God is fear. What made him run away from God is fear. He was afraid of the people and uh, people of Judah to, to turn against him. But he was also afraid from the rejection of Israel. He was also afraid from the rejection of Israel. One of the fathers said, What defense could be made if I remained unsettled and rejected the yoke of ministry? Think about it this way. Jonah as a prophet, people respected him in Israel. He's a prophet. And he had time where people looked up to him. Now, today, there's a yoke. He has to carry this. When the service gets hard, when I feel like there's so much to do, where I feel I'm not appreciated, is this the time that I run from my ministry? 
praise is the time where I stay. St. Gregory the Nazianzi said, he fled from having to announce the dread of the awful message to the Ninevites. What Jonah fled from, he did not want to be the bad guy. You know, sometimes you sit with your friends and you know what's the right thing to say. But you don't want to say it. You're exactly, me, me too, are exactly like Jonah. Running away from claiming the truth. From claiming the word of God. We are not distancing ourselves from the story of Jonah. I think we practice it every day. We practice the story every day. That's why the story is made so vivid for us. Because our sins are so vivid when we look at them. So Jonah ran away out of fear. And by the way, a lot of the sins that we commit, one of the driving force for our sins is fear. Fear of how people perceive us. Fear from not looking weird in front of people. Fear from losing money. Fear from missing, uh, missing out. Fear. There's a lot of fear that drives us to sin. Jonah was afraid. He was afraid of his people. He was afraid of the Ninevites, of how, of how aggressive they are. He was, aggressive, he was afraid that God will change and turn against Jerusalem. Now, but God is patient and merciful. And he visits his people in different way. Now, the, according to the law, Jonah deserves death. He said, you know what? God, I proclaim I will not listen to you. I disobey you. I'm going to run away from you. And I don't care about what you say. Then let's go from verse 4 to verse uh, 6. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God. And threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea. To lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. Had lain down and was fast asleep. What's happening from the disobedience of God. And from all the emotion that he went through, probably from selling his property to buy this really expensive ship and hire the sailors, he was exhausted. He went to the ship, the lowest part of the ship, almost the lowest part of sin. It's almost like when somebody spiritually dies. He went down to the ship and slept. Nothing moves him. The nature is turning around him. The sailors are afraid. The world is turning upside down. The sin makes you numb. The sin makes us not aware. It isolates us from God. It isolates us from God. Now the sailors, by the way, it's, it, it was not uncommon to see storms all the time. But the sailors knew that this storm is not usual. This is nothing common. We've never seen this before. They probably would not have sailed in the first place if they would have expected a big wind to come. But they said there must be 
a problem. Somebody must have disobeyed God. And what did they do? Each sailor started to pray to their gods. Each sailor started to pray to God. By the way, in the Old, in the old Testament, in the ancient, uh, near Middle, uh, Mid Middle Eastern uh, cultures, it was the gods were not known to be good gods. But you had to build a relationship with them. They don't care about the goodwill of the human being per se, but each god, you have to figure out a way to please him or her. And you, you kind of see a deal that will agree on with God. So tell God, for example, one of the gods, God of the sea, tell him, look, if, I, if, I, if you make me pass this trip safely, I will sacrifice for you. You know, just deals. There is no like a moral code. There is no concept of repentance to the sailors. It's a very simple idea. I have to please the gods, and each god is pleased differently. Let me see how can I please them. So the sailors themselves, the Gentiles that Jonah was supposed to be sent to, are kneeling and praying to God, and Jonah is no way to be found. He's sleeping at the bottom of the ship, sleeping in his sin. Verse 6 to verse 8. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to me, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for those for, for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they casted lots and the, and, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us for what causes this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where did you come from? Where is your country? Oh, and of what people are you? Seems like the captain of the ship was going downstairs to the cart to, 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 to get some loads off. And he saw this man sleeping. He told him, hey, get up. You know what's so beautiful? Jonah was not moved by the ocean, by the sea, by the fear. He was sleeping. But then God repeated exactly the same message that he sent to him in verse 1 on the lips of the Gentile captain. What did he tell him? Arise and call. This is what God told Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh and call. He got the direct message from the people he did not want to preach to. Sometimes, even in the world, God can use the people that we think they are far away from him to send us messages. And we all experience this in our life. You might some see somebody who's not religious, but God might use his words to touch you. This is God speaking. I should listen. Because it is consistent with the message that God has been sending me over and over and over again. There is a desperate prayer meeting and Jonah sleeping. And they're telling him, pray to your God. Maybe your God will do something. They're so desperate. They're so confident that this is not normal. Can you imagine the people, the Gentiles, the, the people don't believe in God? They are so confident that this is not normal. This is not a normal uh, wind. We have never seen anything like this. 
I just want to tell you guys something about casting lots. Casting lots was something very common in the Old Testament. You will see it in the story of uh, when they tried to, 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 to find the guilt of Achan in Joshua 7. You also see, in, see it in the story of selecting Saul. You will see it in the book of Acts. You will see it in Samuel, 1 Samuel 14, uh, 40 when they were trying to figure out uh, who spoke against David, against the Palestinian. So it's a very common practice. But so I want to tell you how they used to do it actually. So you kind of have it in your mind. They actually used to bring stones and then they will paint half of the stone a dark color and the other half is a light color. And basically you have two stones in your hand and you'll throw them. If the two sides are dark, it's no. If the two, if the, the two sides are, are light, it's yes. If it's one dark and one light, repeat. Okay? So imagine with me okay, the, the scene, Jonah and everybody on the ship. Throw the dice. Throw the dice. Throw the dice. Everybody is a no. And it comes out to this Jonah. Say, yes, it is you. If you try to do statistically the probability of this, good luck. What is the probability that the lot will turn into Jonah? Very small, very small. And the, and the Marines started telling him, like, this all happened because of you. Like, we want answer. Like, where are you from? What do you do? Where, where do you come from? What is your job? What, tell us. What, what did you do to us? We're about to die. And you know what? All the questions they're asking him, they are embarrassing. Imagine they're asking him, what is your job? What is he going to say? A prophet of God? Where are you from? You imagine he got on the ship with them, probably hired them. They didn't know anything about him. What is he going to tell them? I am from Hebrew. And everybody, the, 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 the Jews were so proud of their God. What is he going to tell them? All the questions are questions that are to convict him of his own mistakes. Not easy questions. Not easy questions. He has seen in front of his own eyes the lot working in such a miraculous... By the way, he did not say a word until the lot fell on him. This was unusual that every single person in the ship would not, would be okay except Jonah. Look uh, in, in, in verse nine, Jonah starts to confess. He said, so he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And he said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great temptation is because of me. This, uh, this, part, of, this part of the, uh, the story is a, is a very difficult part. The sailors 
when they heard from Jonah, they became afraid. By the way, in the Old Testament, the word afraid and worship are extremely connected. And sometimes instead of saying this person worships God, they say this person fears God. So when they heard, when, he, when they heard his story, they became so touched. I'll tell you guys something. I think what happened is vice versa. Probably Jonah was affected by the piety and the, and the spirituality of those sailors that he confessed to them everything. They probably taught him. They probably taught him. And because of them, he probably confessed his sins. The people he was supposed to go preach to are the people that God used to convict him to go back to God. Are the people who convict him to go back to God. Here, it's, it's also very weird that Jonah, he almost recited a creed, I am a Hebrew, I believe in God of heaven. Yet, even though he knew all this stuff, he disobeyed God. Now, let me tell you the most difficult part of this, of this passage. What is the most difficult part of this passage? That the captain of the ship told him something. Told him, go pray or we will perish. Did Jonah pray? No. He has two choices. To repent, and he knows God will accept him. Or to perish, to, to die. And he chose to continue his disobedience until death. He knows if he repents, God will accept him. What did he say? I'm not going to pray. You see, sometime, but why, why is this? Obviously, when you look at it now, when you're in a Bible study in the church, that seems like so, so, so foolish. But actually, when you walk in sin, you will see that people do a lot of foolish things that you can never cross your mind. And if somebody, for example, will abuse drugs until to the point where they hit their parents and they steal from them and do foolish things that we never thought they would do in their life. The sin and sleeping in the depth of the ship and making a decision that I'm going to sell everything, I'm going to disobey God, made him does not even want to repent. I was actually kind of thinking about this for a second. And Jonah did something weird. He told them, look, if he, uh, first of all, the sailors asked him, what should we do, why? Because the sailors do not understand how every God works. So they want to ask him, if this is the God you worship, and this whole trouble is because of you, how can we please your God? In their minds, the idea of repentance is not going to come. In their heads. Now let's see what happens from 13 to 16, and then I'm going to tell you something that will to reflect on this. It says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with the innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done this as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. The word road means they were trying basically to see if they can dig in the water so they can at least let the ship stay where it is. They could not do anything. They tried everything possible. They could not do it. Could not do it. One of the things that I was thinking about as, as I was reading this, why did Jonah wait until they threw him? Why didn't he just jump in the water? If he knew this is, a, this is, the, this is the solution. I honestly don't know. Maybe he was scared, or maybe he wanted the judgment of God to be passed through somebody else. I don't know. But he knew that he decided for sure to die and not repent. And once they threw him into the water, what happened? Shh, calmness. It's almost like in Mark 4, 41, who is that the, even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You will see that there's an obvious difference that the fear, there's an obvious difference in the life of the sailors between the fear for the life and the fear of submission to the presence of God and to the worship of God. Two different fears. The fear for their life made them just get a scramble. Let's figure something out. The fear that came from seeing the miracle of the work of God made them say, we want to worship God. We want to follow Him. And the Midrash, which is a, the Jewish yani commentaries on the Bible, they said that the, 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 the crew, most likely once they came into the sea, they actually went to worship the God of Israel. Most likely went to worship the God of Israel. Such an amazing, amazing miracle. Now, if the book of Jonah would stop here, we would say this is the fulfillment of God's punishment upon Jonah. This is the God of Old Testament who punishes people. This is not true. You will see in the Old Testament, God working so hard to save souls. He uses every mechanism possible. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. God did not abandon his servants to death. Can you imagine with me, Jonah claimed his disobedience to God, but when he spoke to the sailors, they were affected by his words. In the midst of his disobedience, God still spoke through him. God still spoke through him. God here says, it's not the God you know or the God that you think you know. This is the God who wants to save us. St. Um, Jerome said, The sailors and the passengers in the book of Jonah say, We beseech you, O Lord, do not destroy us on the account of this man, and lay upon us the innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done this as it pleased you. They do not know the reason why the prophet, 
a figurative servant deserve to be punished. Yet they justify God and acknowledge the blood of him whose deeds they do not know to be innocent. And in conclusion, they say, O oh Lord, you have done this as it pleased you. What St. Jerome is saying is that the sailors teach us submission to God. They took the prophet of God, they threw him into the water. And they said, O oh Lord, as it pleased you, we trust in whatever you do. And sometimes I have to ask that question when I have a lot of questions in my life that I don't understand. Can I say the same words? Oh Lord, I trust you. Even if things are not clear today, can I say the same things or not? Can I say the same things or not? Just one thing I want to conclude with. St. Augustine said, some people, by the way, from the time of Augustine, Augustine was in the third century, fourth century, they doubted the story of Jonah. And St. Augustine said something interesting. He said, it's either all the miracles in the Bible are true or either none is true. Sometimes people want to put Christianity only as a miracle of the resurrection of Christ. But all other miracles that Jesus did are all fake, are all not true. They're all stories, parables, even though there were people who are eyewitnesses to these miracles. And St. John said, I have witnessed everything. It's either you accept all as miracles or you accept none. You cannot just pick and choose the one that you think fits your mind better. It doesn't work that way. It's either you submit to God and see his words to you like Jonah Later on, hopefully, he will listen next chapter. Or just be a selective believer who almost follows his own way, but just kind of framing it in the Word of God. May God give us the strength to hear his voice and to obey his voice. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.